another episode of the ladies room as always she is jane mcmanus i am julie DeCaro. we are your hosts and we are here to talk sports and all sports adjacent things jane the olympics are underway it was a little dicey as to whether or not we were going to get there because in the days leading up to the opening ceremonies we heard they still hadn't ruled out a full-scale cancellation which was kind of shocking because everybody was already there But I mean, we keep seeing people getting pulled for COVID, but it appears that outside of that, we are forging ahead with these games. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, like, I I am seeing quite a bit of buzz about the games. I'm interested to find out what the ratings are going to be like, but it does seem like people are engaged with them this year. And, And I you know, despite the fact that it's so different and that there aren't fans in the stands, but the storylines are still kind of interesting. USA basketball, <laughs> for example, <laughs> you know, Katie Ledecky, women's soccer, gymnastics, skateboarding is really, I think, yeah. come up pretty strong. A lot of people are engaged with that. So it does seem like, you know, it does seem like that, even though I think that the games are very problematic underneath, it does seem like the competition is is actually gaining interest. Yeah. And, you know, I've gotten several comments from people that are sort of like, I'm shocked that you're watching these games. You know how exploitive they are. Yeah, I do. And first of all, it's my job to watch them so I can write about them. But second of all, you know, I I, I think that despite all the yucky stuff that goes on around it, and it is horrible. I mean, you know, kicking people out of their homes to build stadiums. I mean, all that stuff is awful. The COVID stuff, all the IOC stuff, they're up there with FIFA for the worst people in the world. At the same time, when Katie Ledecky and Ariane Titmus are going neck to neck in the final 15 meters, I mean, if you're a person who loves sports, how do you not care about that? You know, it's 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 hard, I think, to separate those things. Right. And, it, you know, the, and a lot of the athletes that we watch you know, this isn't their first rodeo. I mean, some, yes, new athletes will emerge at this Olympics. So, you know, people we don't know anything about who are going to become household names, but at the same time, you know, these are, are particularly in women's sports. This is one of the brightest spotlights that women's sports get. And Mm -hmm. the Olympics is one of the few places where women's sports are on an equal footing with men's sports. I think we only see it, uh, you know, elsewhere, certainly in the United States, we see with world cup, but really tennis internationally is the only other sport where you see this kind of parody. And so I, I just feel like it's it's hard in a lot of ways to ask women not to care about this when our athletes are being broadcast and given the same amount of time, airtime, as the men are. Yeah. And, you know, Steve Karnacki um, was talking about the the medal count in Rio and how the reason the U.S. finished so far ahead of everyone else was because of the women. Right. It was because of Katie Ledecky winning, you know, six gold medals or whatever it was. And because of the U.S. women's soccer team and because of Simone Biles and the U.S. gymnasts. I mean, so, yeah, you're exactly right. It is one of the rare times when we get to see other women competing um, 
and actually getting a lot of attention for it. You know, I was watching, I was up in the middle of the night watching the women's cycling road race for reasons. I don't even know why. (laughs) But, you know, one thing that was so obnoxious about it was that you could tell that the announcers aren't used to having to talk about women like this because they, they, I mean, okay, granted, it's a road race. You've got like four hours to kill. But they kept referring to the men's race and how the men had a much tougher course. And I would just kept being like, shut up. (laughs) Like nobody wants to hear your stupid BS about how the men had a tougher course and they could not like stop going back to the men's race and just, you know, that was like their content. That was what they knew about. And I thought that was pretty glaring and obvious for those, you know, handful of us that were up in the middle of the night watching it. But outside of that, you're right. I mean, we do see women um, once every four years presented on equal footing with men. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, you know, I'm looking forward to actually watching you know, some more of the Olympics, but it's, um, but it is, you know, it is, it is overlay with this idea of, of all of the issues that have come forward. And, and the fact that these games are, you know, fairly uh, risky for, for the public at large in Japan, where you only have, you know, last week, the, the stat that I read was 28% of the Japanese people have their first shot, which is not a lot, which is right. not a lot. So, you know, and I know they're trying to do a bubble and I hope that it, I hope that it's maintained, but we we know that sometimes those um, you have a lot of variants in the general population in the world, and if um, you know you just hope for the best, and that that we can have these competitions and we can have you know a really great Olympics without having it be a detriment to their COVID infection rate. Yeah, you know, I saw this morning sixteen more people tested positive, three of them athletes, so it's in the bubble. Like, I mean, yeah. COVID is in the bubble, and. The thing that is not clear to me is if all these people are coming down with a Delta variant or if it's just good, plain old fashioned COVID, because um, I really am concerned that, you know, like a lot of things, we're going to go through this and it's going to be great and we're all going to be, oh, I'm so glad they did it. And then it's going to turn out to be like the super spreader of all super spreader events. Right. Because everyone's going to be going home to their own countries and there is a lag between when the, you know, when COVID's picked up on a test and when you start actually, you know, when you get it and when it's picked up on a test, there can be a lag. And if you get back into your country and you're walking around before your test comes back positive, then yeah, you could, you could really have an opportunity like that. I mean, you know, again, so as much as you enjoy it, it is kind of like sports in this era though, you know, because that's really a risk with so many different things. And, you know, college sports was pretty disastrous uh, last year and ended up leading to a lot of infection and spread. And and who knows, you know, they're not keeping track of how many long COVID cases that's led to or what the long-term implications have been. So you just kind of have to cross your fingers. And, you know, in some ways it's just like, you know, people are determined to have the economics of sport trump the public health aspect. And, so be it. It's, you know, it's, there's nothing you can do that's going to fix it. So you just kind of have to decide whether or not you're also going to be able to enjoy the games. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right, well, we should move right into our, our special guest this week because, uh, she is terrific. We are so glad that we were able to have her time. And I think she's someone who probably can speak to a lot of these issues that we are talking about. We'll be right back after this with the amazing Soledad O'Brien. We are so excited to have joining us today in the ladies' room, a fantastic reporter, I think above all else, a host, a podcast host, head of Soledad O'Brien Productions. She does absolutely amazing documentaries on there that I've been watching. Joining us, host of very opinionated Soledad O'Brien. How's it going, Soledad? Hey, nice to see you guys. Uh, It's going great. I also feel like I should add 
a dishwasher lady who empties the garbage can. I was going to say dog mom, horse mom, like a whole bunch, but you know, we got to cut it out somewhere. Picker upper, you know, that's what comes (laughs) in the big. Yes, yes. Horse poop picker upper. (laughs) Right, exactly right. So if you don't follow Sold Out on Twitter, first of all, what are you doing with your life? You should be. But second of all, you know, I I love the fact that you have sort of become, you know, you sort of every day give us a master class on journalism and journalism ethics on Twitter. And I'm constantly looking to see what your take is on certain stories. And I think that it gives sort of a real time lesson in journalism that a lot of us didn't have that are working in media today, um, or at least haven't had since journalism school. So, you know, I saw you talking about the Jeff Bezos cover and sort of the fawning over, you know, his his space race with Elon Musk and Richard Branson, which I just couldn't care less about. And and you brought up this topic of access journalism, which I think is something that we deal with quite a bit in sports as well. Because, you know, for example, right now, we've got the Chicago Blackhawks um, embroiled in yet another sexual assault scandal, and almost no one in Chicago is talking about it. So can you speak a little bit to the way things maybe have changed or the way that access journalism has worked its way into our lives. Yeah, I, I think it's really problematic, right? Because what ends up happening is it's a it's a quid pro quo. And and certainly, I mean, to watch it with the Jeff Bezos. And by the way, I love space coverage. Uh, we're, my show is one of the few that we literally have the NASA's chief scientist to come on and bring like special little rocks and talk to us about the next frontier. I, I love it. I, I just think this unbridled and, and, and an opportunity for great questions that was just a fail. Like there were actually really good things you could have asked Jeff Bezos. And a lot of them were not asked because people were so giddy because they got access to Jeff Bezos, who understood that he had a lot of little levers to pull here, especially since what he was really doing ultimately was trying to get access to NASA and those contracts. Uh, and, and you know, maybe someone should point out that he didn't make history. That history was made something like 60 years ago. You know, he didn't get into space. He did not right. speak. Um, and so, you know, all of that, you wouldn't know it from the coverage, I guess I would say. And so what we've seen certainly politically and and we've seen, uh, in, I think, in that Jeff Bezos coverage, and I think you do see in sports, right, is this idea of, well, you know, you can have access, but it better go the way I want it to go or you don't get access. And for a lot of people, and again, you see, I thought we saw great examples of this politically, you know, the, a lot of the reporting reflected this idea that, you know, you get to be in the room, but you certainly better continue to report favorably on the people you're covering. Otherwise, you will lose your access. And if you lose your access and you're a White House reporter, you basically, for the most part, lose the most interesting aspects of your gig. So you, you saw a lot of, uh, I mean, I think it's just terrible. And I, I, I think we're seeing more of that because and I, I understand it. I think people want to be able to control the message. It's unfortunately, it's just the opposite of good reporting and good journalism. Um, but I, I, I sort of understand why the subjects do it. I get it. Um, but, you know, I, I always am amazed that the reporters are, are willing to fall for it. Yeah, especially when the takeaway from that, some of those interviews was like, let's put our garbage in space. Like, you know, I was kind of, that's the, that's the take. That's where no one's going to push back on that. We're not going to get Is there a follow up to that one? <laughs> I felt like that one had a follow up or the idea that all the all the employees that Amazon paid for this trip, you're like those people have been fighting for a, a higher wage and so that they don't have to pee in bottles. Those people. Yes. Yeah. I thought there should be a follow up. It's it's so distressing, but I'm I'm sure it's very clear to everybody. You know, if you don't get on board, then you will not do this interview again. And if you want to have a career, maybe post journalism, that this is a good person to have a good relationship with. I, You know, I that's the quid pro quo. 
I do think actually that comes into play. It's, a, you know, you you are your own brand in journalism now more than you are a representative of your outlet. I kind of look at the model of, you know, British journalism, which, you know, definitely leaves a lot to be desired in some ways, but there is a real tradition of asking pointed questions and of having that be taken seriously and that role be respected. I almost feel like the American audience now has been um, kind of coached into not expecting tough questions and almost being offended if, if a reporter does ask a tough question. And I almost wonder if we're doing a disservice, a disservice to our audiences by kind of abdicating that responsibility. And I get in sports, you are a, you're a broadcaster or a rights holder. So you have, you know, some networks that are very wary of doing that, but then you also have, you know, like real sports, like where, where you're a correspondent, which still is kind of allowed to do some of that kind of back and forth. Yeah, I I don't know that it is. Um, let me see how I'm trying to say this. Uh, I, I feel that it's a, there's a big. I feel like a lot of it is laziness. I, I honestly feel like often it's not just people. You know, boy, I have a really good tough question, but I'm not going to ask it. I'm going to ask this soft one because I think it's a better strategy. I think it's often laziness. It's just easy prep. I, I never really had a lot of problems. Um, when I asked people tough questions, when I did a morning show on CNN, it was kind of the format for it. And people came back because they they wanted the platform, right? It wasn't about me per se. It was, we need to be on the morning show on CNN. So, you know, that's a good platform for us to spread our message. And so I often think that a lot of the coverage is just kind of lazy. I think real sports, we don't really cover sports in the way that sports journalists traditionally cover sports, right? So we're always... Um, kind of looking at it from a different perspective, uh, sports maybe as a metaphor for for life and not here's what happened in this game and this thing. And I think that helps us a lot because, you know, if we can't get access, we just can't do a well, you can't do a 15 minute story on somebody. And I, I think there's a certain appeal to having story told from a different point of view. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I, so I think that that has helped our, our show a lot, but I, I think honestly, when it comes to politics frequently, it's, it's hard to prep those interviews, right? It's hard to know what Jeff Bezos is going to say and be prepared, you know, for an answer about space garbage. You kind of got to have some kind of context. I mean, a good answer is like, wait, what, why would you want to put garbage in space? But but a more thoughtful answer might be, but we're already putting X amount of garbage. We already dodge satellites that are disintegrating, you know, content, 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 and then ask your question. And I think that's just a lot of prep. And so I think it's easier just to gush over Jeff Bezos. And I, I just find it disturbing because you don't, people don't even um, push on the, on the obvious thing. Like he called himself a regular person. Well, Krista McAuliffe, who died going up to space, right? That was a regular person. Yeah. You, someone could have pointed that out. He, um, you know, he 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 calls it the new Shepard after Alan Shepard, right? And you're like, but but he was an astronaut who trained, right? He was a pilot who then became for months. He wasn't. He 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 didn't just have this whim that you know I really want to go up to space and I could just pave my way for it. You know, Jeff Bezos said he worked with a personal trainer. I just some of the stuff just writes itself, and yet. It makes my little head explode, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I and I think with the Olympics starting, I mean, I saw women today, and a caveat, this was on MSNBC, which is part of NBC, which is basically driving the Olympics bus at this point. But, you know, I saw a, a reporter talking about the opening ceremonies this morning who was absolutely just gushing over the opening ceremonies, and you could tell she was 
really caught up in, you know, the pageantry of the Olympics and being there and seeing it. Um, but there feels like there were so many stories coming out of the Olympics that she didn't talk about. I mean, obviously COVID being the biggest one. Um, you know, and it, I think it, some of that though is, you know, for me, that's like a producer's job, right? And it's stacking. There's something that is amazing about the opening ceremony. And I yeah, love yeah. a gushing reporter on a thing that is a big, exciting. I actually don't even mind a gushing reporter on a Jeff Bezos thing, as long as you then turn to the reporter reporter, right? Like, right. I, I think <laughs> there's cool stuff. I, I can totally see someone saying, this for me is the most amazing thing. Fantastic. Jane, thank you so much. Susie, thank you so much. Julie, thank you so much. Now we turn to this because there's interest in like, that's a producing structural kind of thing versus a, um, you know, just that the question's never going to be asked or all the coverage is going to be gushing. I love a spectacle. I love space. I love the opening ceremonies. Love, love, love. I love the dancers. I like when they haul out the kids. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. In the context of COVID, lots to ask, but I don't mind the gushing. It's just when it's only that it's problematic. Well, and you never get the contrary. You can never get a reporter who's there as like, this is ridiculous. It's way over budgeted, you know, like all of that. You never get the contrary. I, I almost feel like if there's going to be emotion on the side of reporter, it's an enforced enthusiasm or optimism. You very rarely have the opportunity to <laughs> be upset about something or say something isn't done right or whatever. It has to be the opposite. And um, if you are, you get the blowback for it, for being the downer person online, which I think is something else that a lot of people struggle with. Yeah, online is basically a cesspool and a circle of hell, right? So, I mean, to some degree, like I literally never, if I do something that I know people are going to be mad at, I just don't even go on my phone for two days because I just, I just know, and there's no point in reading it, right? And you say something, and sometimes you say these things that are true and need to be said, but you just know everyone's going to hate it. So yeah, you're Debbie Downer and you have to just decide that you're not going to, you know, read your, your, your comments for a while. I think the Olympics is so interesting also from the point of view of, um, you know, it's a story about COVID and it's a story about the tension that COVID has placed on the sporting world for the last year and a half, which is the economics of sports, the imperative of sports and public health. Um, And it's so we don't usually have to tell stories about public health. And yet in the last year, it's really kind of been what we have to do. And I don't know that we've been all that well equipped for it. And so when you come to a story like the Olympics, I'm wondering, you know, what your thoughts are on, you know, how do you know how how has Tokyo done? Um, What is the responsibility of a reporter in a situation like that? What kind of information should be available? What should be, you know, 75 people with Olympic credentials already tested positive for COVID? I just feel like all of this really has to be part of the storytelling. A hundred percent, right? Again, I I really think of it as the holistic coverage. And I also think it's sort of how real people react, right? You can say, oh my gosh, I love that movie because I love anything that Vin Diesel is in, right? And then you get into but maybe it was a little too long. And, you know, and then you get into your credit, but you can start with big picture. Here is what I think about it as a human being who is covering this story. You know, it was crowded at the airport. Boy, they're organized. Boy, they're disordered, whatever, right? This is what I saw as a human being. But then you do have to get into, now, here are the nuts and bolts of the reporting of the story. 
And we all know COVID is problematic at the Olympics. We know that the, the, the sponsors themselves right, are not even really part of it. It is so crazy to have no spectators, but also people who are testing positive. So I do think you have to just make sure that your coverage while saying I'm a human and I love this, or even I'm a human and I really don't like a crowd and it's freaking me out that you know this is happening. All of those things I think are fair game framed the right way, turning pretty quickly into, you know, here's uh here's the issues we need to be talking about and the tough questions and even the things that are unanswered that we just should be following up on over the next few days as you're watching coverage. Remember X, Y, and Z. Remember that an athlete. To win in the Olympics, right? You're talking about a lung capacity that might just be a little teeny, teeny, tiny bit better than the next competitor. Well, guess what? If you get COVID, there's a really good chance that you're going to have some, not short-term, but also long-term, some really big, what are the risks that you take on when sports is your life? The guy who did a great job, who used to be my co-anchor on the Jeff Bezos stuff was Miles O'Brien. Miles would sit here and tell you that he loves space. Miles, Love space. He was actually a reporter who was going to go into space. I mean, he was working on that when he was at CNN. Love space. He's utterly biased. Love space. And yet he can quickly turn to, because I love space and because I'm so knowledgeable about it, here are clearly the things that are both problematic and interesting. And I, I think it's not hard for journalists to do that. They just have to be very knowledgeable and willing to ask those difficult questions. You know, I, I've been thinking a lot about our COVID coverage in this country and sort of the rise, and maybe it's always been this way, but sort of the rise of both sides journalism, where you got to hear both sides. And I'm wondering, do you feel a disservice was done by all the by all the outlets that had, you know, a doctor on versus like a politician who was a COVID denier and pretended that these were equal viewpoints worth equal weight? Yeah. The problem is there's so many decisions made. Again, these are producing decisions, right? Mm -hmm. and th there's no book that says thou must have a one, you know, if you're going to talk about something happening in the globe, you have to have a flat earth person on to, <laughs> right. to, to tell us that they don't think the earth is a globe at all. They think it's flat. Uh, it's just ridiculous. And I think it's unfortunate. And it's also, again, kind of a lazy way of setting up a, a debate or an argument when we just wouldn't do that. So, all right, I, I think you you give a ton of credibility even of your news organization. It's just really unfortunate, but it's a shorthand. It's just a lazy way of booking a show. We have this and we have this, you know, as opposed to saying our jobs are actually to figure out the truth. Our job, and by the way, you can even talk about the people who are dissenting without giving them a live mic. Right. You can say there are some politicians, you know, here I'm telling you about it, but I don't have to give them the same weight or the same platform or the same uh, access to the audience as I do someone who we know is saying that this might be their genuinely held opinion, but it is not factually sound. It is not scientifically sound. But somehow there's a sense of, well, we had this person on. We also are going to need to have the, the neo-Nazi to make sure it's all evened out. You don't have to give people a mic. You do not. You're not required to do it. You know, I, I was surprised to see something, some leadership come out of the world of sports after they've done so much following um, in the last year with a lot of a lot of stuff when it comes to COVID. They've been very behind when they could have taken a real leadership role on, you know, getting together on masking and all of this other stuff. But yesterday, the NFL comes out and says... Yeah, if you're not vaccinated, you can be 
subject and you get COVID, you could be subject to this could cost you, you know, financially. And I think it was, it was interesting because I think, you know, there are a lot of people who want to kind of be neutral on vaccination and pretend that that's fine. Um, but here, but you can't be neutral when your bottom line is affected. And if, if NFL owners are, are willing to take a stand on anything, it's their paycheck, your, their wallets, right? They're very good about that. Um, and so I was kind of almost surprised to see it happening. And, and, and so now you have where if, if a team has to push back a game or forfeit because too many players, unvaccinated players have COVID on their team, they are going to potentially have to pay for that forfeit. They will be, they will have to forego the paychecks they would have gotten as a result of that. And then this morning we also saw, um, and doesn't it count as a loss as well? I mean, yeah. So, and right. if you so they schedule it. You, you not only lose financially, but you lose in terms of your record, which of course has financial implications. I love that. And I think it's going to be, we're going to see more of that where people are holding people accountable. I mean, they did it in, in France, right? Where they said, you cannot go to a concert or out to dinner or to a bar if you're not vaccinated. And guess what? Something like 3 million people got vaccinated. You know, and I, I have a tiny company. I run a production company. You know, I told my employees, everybody who works for me has to be vaccinated. I have elderly people in my life. My in-laws are 80 years old. Nope, you know, or you cannot work for me if you are not vaccinated. That's going to be the rule. Anybody who's working in a nursing home should be vaccinated. If there was an unvaccinated person working around my elderly parent, I'm sure they're liable to a lawsuit. You know, so I, I actually thought that it was pretty quick and pretty clear and, and pretty amazing and, and put the onus on those people. Like, if you want to be unvaccinated, now you bear the burden of the cost of it. Which is something I think that we haven't necessarily done. We haven't gotten to that point. And so for the NFL to take a leadership role on that, I thought was interesting. Do you think other industries, because I, you know, I think about, you know, and I know there's a lot, there are a lot of legal hurdles with something like insurance, but you know, if you're a smoker, you could have to pay more in premiums. The ACA allows for an insurer to charge 50% more in premiums to smokers. Um, Do you think that this could be something like that where each employer or institution looks at this and says, well, how can we shift the burden for our institution to the person who's making the choice as opposed to having us all have to bear that burden? I definitely think so, because I think it's going to be, I think people are looking for ways to get people vaccinated, right? So step one was begging. Step two was do it for your friends and family. Step three was we're going to give you a donut. Step four was we're going to give you a car. Step five was you could win a million dollars. You know, and, and now we're up to like, or you're just going to lose it. Oh, then you can go to a bar. You'll have access. Now it's, you're going to lose your job. And some people, as you know, opt to lose their job, opt to not, to, I mean, Listen, I don't know that there's anything that can be done for those people. Uh, I, I really don't. Um, but I, I do like that there is leadership on this. And I think you're going to see it everywhere because our vaccination numbers are not good. And the Delta variant is coming on fast. And and the viral load of it is insane. And so it, they need to find a solution. And you've already seen like hardcore Republicans who, you know, singing a completely different tune about vaccinations as if they've been saying it all along when really they had not been when Fox News starts you know, advocating for vaccinations, you know, you know, things have changed in like a 24 hour window, huh, something, somebody, somebody read some polling somewhere and, and uh, just suddenly got religion on it. Um, but yes, I think for sure it's going to be a model because all it does is say, do whatever you want. You are free to make any choice you want. Just know that that choice is may have, maybe not, but might have financial implications for you. There's a story uh, in um, coming out of Australia, I'm an equestrian, about the um, 
the equestrian team, the Australian equestrian team, I guess a 20, one of the members um, tested positive for cocaine. Yes. Have you seen this? Yes. And, and so they, that, they, 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 everybody from the team out. Could you imagine? I mean, talk about, and, and I don't, they're right now petitioning, I think, to see if they can do individual events so they can't compete as a team. And I don't even think they did a second round test. He didn't deny it. I think he said, yep, but you know, I did. I went to a party or something. Um, but, you know, when you have those kinds of intense consequences, I, I guarantee you, suddenly you're going to have people on, you know, the team monitoring themselves because they recognize this is a problem and that's going to affect you. It's not just going to affect, hey, this one guy, too bad for him. The entire team as of this moment is not going to, imagine you've trained your entire life and with the equestrian team, it's not just the, the riders, right? It's it's the horse too. It's the match that was able to make it so far. He just blew that up for everybody. And the horses have to travel to Tokyo. So they already have their horses in Tokyo while this happens. That's crazy. It's a crazy story. And I think, you know, how do you make, like, how do you hold people accountable? You know, and, and it's, and there's a massive, massive cost, massive cost. Well, speaking of holding people accountable, um, I, I got to do a, a scripted podcast, a true crime scripted podcast. Oh, fun. And absolutely fell in love with, I guess, for lack of a better term, sort of a loosely a documentary podcast. And I know you make tons of documentaries in addition to uh, the stuff you do on Real Sports. And you can go over to Soledad O'Brien Productions and they're all listed there and they're fantastic. Hungry to learn about college students who don't have enough to eat because they're so cash strapped. It was fantastic. Um, there's a great one on uh, police brutality and stop and frisk. There's all these great ideas. How do you find the stories that, that you want to tell? Sometimes they, they're brought to us. Someone will say they have access to a great story. We have a story that's about to start airing on Discovery Plus, and it's about a guy who broke his way out of prison. And he ended up having a, a very unlikely friendship with a Canadian journalist. And so we kind of tell that story through the journalist. But he literally mailed himself out of prison. He wrapped himself in a bunch of mailing bags because he was working in the mailroom. Oh, and fantastic. Forklift took him out. I mean, it's a crazy. I love prison third, breaks. <laughs> it was the third time. And he was on the lam for 18 months. And one of the ways that he got good at breaking out of prison was he would FOIA his original breakout to see what he did wrong and where they caught him. And crazy, right? And so you almost deserve to be out if you put that much effort in. It's so crazy. So he was on the lam for 18 months and helpfully to us, he rolled little videos while he was on the run. Uh, he went to Canada. And so he ended up having a striking up a friendship, a relationship with this Canadian journalist who really kind of hunted down his story. So, you know, I, I just, I, I, I love that kind of stuff that came to us. Someone said, you know, we're interested in doing this story and uh, this is the way we want to tell it. And then sometimes, you know, it's just stories that we've, we've uncovered and we found and, you know, and then of course, the next step, of course, when you're an independent producer, essentially, you got to figure out who's your buyer, you know, wh what platform is it for? What's the, you know, what's the right place to be? Who's your buyer? Okay, I'm now dying to know about the guy who mailed himself out. Is he still out? Did he get, did he get caught? What happened? He did. Well, the funny thing is he did get caught. And there's a great video. If you if you Google, um, uh, I'm trying to think what you'll have to, have to look it up. He, 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 there's a video of him where his, he's walking down the train tracks in Louisiana and he runs into a cop and the cop says, we're looking for this guy who's broken out of prison. And he says, oh, that's not me. But the police officer had a bad picture that <laughs> wasn't accurate uh, and, and bad information. And he's able to sweet talk his way 
from this cop who's like, yeah, you know, you wouldn't be so friendly. And, and he's, he's so cool, so calm. That video um, went viral because, of course, the police officer then realized that that, that in fact, was the suspect. And, and he used to jump in in debates online to defend the officer. <laughs> you know, who were blaming, who were, people were blaming the officer for letting him go. He's just this nutty, I mean, and, and he's a killer. Listen, he killed a guy. Oh, and that's, that's not as much wounded. fun. So no, he's, no. right. I mean, but it's a crazy story wrapped in a bizarre tragedy. And and he was on the limb when he finally got caught by the Canadian police. They didn't believe who he was. He kept saying, I'm one of the most wanted. <laughs> but he had a fake ID and they kept looking at his ID and rolling their eyes like, oh, God, this guy. So that's, a that's a more he fun story. That's a more fun story. He his way out of prison, but then had to talk his way into really <laughs> having them seriously take uh, bringing him in. It's a crazy story. Crazy. Yeah, that's more fun if he's committed like mail fraud yes. than it is if he's committed murder. But still, that sounds fantastic. Are there stories out there that you think people should be covering that that no one's talking about right now? What stories are being undercovered? Gosh, so many. You know, there's just so many communities that are really undercovered. I think we're doing a better job. I mean. Listen, a lot of stories that news would do are now documentaries, you know, mm-hmm. that are more fascinating, which I, I kind of like. Um, uh, but yeah, there's just, I, I just love small stories and stories about people's lives because I think it's a way in which we start identifying with each other. At a, we're at a time, I think right now, where a lot of people just hate on everything, you know, on each other. And, and I think every, I think part of that is everybody's just so stressed that we just don't have it in our hearts, right? To When I'm stressed, I just don't, have the extra room to be kind to somebody. I just can't do like, I just, it's just, I'm just done. Right. So I don't, I don't have the ability to sort of say like, Oh, I see your stress. I, I see that you're anxious. I see that you're worried. Um, you're just done. And so I, I do think that there's just a lot of stories about just small stories about humanity that, you know, we used to do a lot of in news that we don't now we just cover a lot of politics and it's a lot of palace intrigue and it's not about, you know, people, the show that I do, matter of fact, we've tried to do a lot of focused on how policy affects people and and not so much politicians, because I, I don't think they're super interesting to interview. And, and I think that's been helpful so people can understand, like, here's how this soybean farmer is thinking about this issue. You may agree with him. You may disagree with him. You may like him. You may hate him. But it's his story in his words about what he's thinking. And at least you'll have more of an inkling of kind of how he processes and thinks about issues. So then from the individual stories to kind of the big picture, I think in the last year and a half, we've seen a real reckoning on the way that the media covers issues of race uh, and and women and harassment with Me Too. And, you know, a lot of news about Kavanaugh came out and the FBI not really looking into um, the allegations uh, about him um, and sexual harassment. And that's, you know, disappointing whenever you see that these issues aren't being taken seriously. Do you, you know, looking back over the last couple of years and this reckoning, do you think it's made a permanent change or are we reverting to the mean? And I'm, I never know how to think about that. I don't, I, I think there's been a permanent change, but maybe not in the way we would hope. I think the permanent change is that people now are willing to have this conversation because I think there was such a big step up for people to even begin to talk about these issues, right? I mean, newsrooms just didn't cover them. It was so crazy. You just, you just didn't. In, in a lot of ways, it parallels, you know, people talking about white privilege. When I was doing a documentary called Black in America, like 
we were not allowed to use the word privilege. And in a way, I thought it was a, it was complicated and confusing because it wasn't really explained. And so I, I think I think the same thing. I think the conversation around somebody's claim that they were taken advantage of or they felt like they were in this power unbalance. I mean, think back to Monica Lewinsky days to today. The 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 we have really shifted how that conversation has gone. We just have. Um, you know, I look back at some of the coverage from you know that time. It was insane, often from women who would describe themselves as pro-female, pro-young women pro uh, uh super duper liberal right like right. go back and read some of those tra- they are horrible horrible i think there has been change i don't think it's been as much as we would hope but i definitely think there are more conversations uh in more fronts you know about uh it's not a fringe of people saying hey you know here's an important issue you should pay attention to it um it's actually a large number of people and, and that's making newsrooms kind of rethink how, or sometimes making mistakes, but even those mistakes get elevated and discussed uh, and people have to kind of sift through them and sort through them. So I do think that it's a plus, but I, I think we always want these fast changes. They just don't come. They just do not come that way. You know, I can't believe I, it took me till the end to, to ask this question. Um, uh, Felicia Somnes is suing the Washington Post because as a sexual assault survivor, she was told that she's not allowed to cover stories involving sexual assault. And, you know, both I think sides. both you know, sides, right. 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 And I, I was thinking about, you know, I absolutely blew a gasket during the Winter Olympics when NBC had Mike Tirico, who has a history of, of sexually harassing women, interviewing Sean White about his sexual assault harassments. And there just don't seem to be any kind of rules across the board for how we handle this. So have we changed our idea of what we think of as bias? I think we're figuring it out, right? And I think everyone's going to get away with what they can get away with for as long as they can get away for it, with it. And and until some, you know, until there's an outcry, and sometimes there is an outcry, and then that person goes away or something happens or something shifts. I really do. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, honestly, I think there's a, a bias is only pro- mostly problematic when it's women or people of color, right? right. Because it's just yep. easy to point out. I, again, I think people don't see bias when that person's bias agrees with your bias. <laughs> it actually all seems very comfortable and <laughs> and appealing. Um, right. So yeah, I, you know, I, but, but what happens, and I think companies are feeling their way in this, you know, is the outcry worth it? Um, who was it the other day who decided that they would, uh, that they shouldn't hold the congressman accountable um, was it Toyota? Was it, it was Toyota, wasn't it? Am I wrong about that? I think Toyota backed out of doing a lot of Olympic advertising. No, it wasn't for the Olympics. It was for, in politics, they had been funding some of the Congress members. Oh, oh it's for oh, January 6th, right? Wasn't it? Right, was right, it right. Yes. I think it's Toyota. No, you're right. And they, and basically their, their quote was like, it's, we don't think it's our business, you know? And, and I think there was such a backlash, right? They, they really realized that the PR mistake that they made made them recognize like, oops, I guess actually, you know, people who buy our cars when we brag about our safety and how we care about you and, you know, and your family, like maybe people are extrapolating that and actually believe that stuff. So, you know, I think companies are feeling their way. Where's the line? What can they get away with? You know, and and, and until the moment where someone's, you know, really says, no, you can't get away with it this time, then they'll continue to get away with it. 
Soledad O'Brien. She's a reporter, host, author, documentary filmmaker, podcast host. I know I'm leaving out like 50,000 things. You can watch her on Real Sports. Honestly, I don't know when you sleep or ride your horse because I feel like you're <laughs> constantly working. I was working. a guinea pig farmer once. So when my daughters were in fourth grade. We, we, I, thought I, had, I thought I had three girl guinea pigs, but it turned out we had two girls and a boy. Oh, <laughs> how is that not in your bio? Guinea pig farmer. You're, you're, you're a better guinea pig farmer today than you were at the beginning of that little game. 17 guinea pigs. You know what? Why would I believe the 15-year-old girl who sold me the guinea pig? Like, well, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? I'm like, oh, I feel okay, like, thank you. And I feel like that's a story that everybody has. Like, oh, I thought I had two girl rabbits, but I had a boy and a girl. Oh, <laughs> like, oh yes. Yes. Maybe the lesson here is to insist on DNA testing for your pets. Clearly. Or you know what? Don't. Get a, get a guinea pig for the classroom and just one, <laughs> one guinea pig by itself. Soledad O'Brien, you're the best. Thanks so much for joining us. Nice to chat with you guys. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad, Jane, we were able to get Soledad. She has so much amazing insight on journalism and ethics and how to cover a story. And I feel like I learned something from her every single time I listen to her talk. A hundred percent. And she, she is somebody who I think she's done so many different things and she's also been, you know, had a front seat for a lot of changes in the industry over the last decade. And her um, morning show used to be with Bill Hemmer on Fox now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I mean, she has been in it, in the trenches for a long time. Um, yeah. Love listening to her. So before we go, though, I want to talk about, I mean, COVID has sort of been the theme of this episode, as have many other episodes in the past um, with the Olympics going on. But this week we got some news from the NFL. Uh, I was shocked. But the NFL is now, uh, you can explain it probably better than I can, because I have actually haven't thought about it for a couple of days <laughs> since the news came out. Now I'm like, wait, what was it? <laughs> sure. Well, I, I think the big, the big takeaway for me is that the NFL is no longer vaccine neutral. And what that means practically is that if there are outbreaks among teams that force teams to forfeit games, and if those outbreaks are happening among people who've chosen not to get vaccinated, then those teams will be penalized. They could get they could get assigned the loss for having to forfeit. Yeah. Um, and the idea is the NFL doesn't want to lose a lot of money by having to switch games around, especially when um, those games would have to be switched around because because players are choosing or personnel are choosing not to get vaccinated. So, so yeah. So what, go, ahead. go ahead. I was going to say specifically what the rule is is if you have to if you can't play a game because of COVID. And they can't reschedule it like within, I don't know, how a, a set period of time, then you take a loss. Right. That's right. And, and it means that there could be financial ramifications for the players who are you know, dis- deliberately unvaccinated, uh, which is new. And I think what it's Cold doing, big, I think big picture, what it does is that it shifts the financial risk for forfeitures and schedule disruptions due to COVID from the league to the players. And to me, this is big, not just for the NFL. I, I think if you if you watched a lot of just news generally uh, in the wake of that announcement, it is it is a it is a bigger picture of how 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 is industry generally going to adapt this way of thinking? The way of thinking being shifting risk from the industry to the people who don't want to get vaccinated. It's yeah. not saying that you can't choose to not get vaccinated. What it's saying is that that 
choice then has risk associated with it, financial risk potentially associated with it, you know, risk about where you can work, how you, you know, how you can exist in your industry, where you can go, that kind of thing. And I, and that to me is a big change because just statistically, the unvaccinated are having such a big effect on the current outbreak in the United States right now. Right. I mean, I am getting ready to uh, go on vacation to a place where I'm going to have to wear a mask because uh, of all the unvaccinated people there. And, and I mean, don't make no mistake. Like I, I saw, uh, gosh, I can't remember exactly who it was on uh, MSNBC the other night, someone from the CDC saying that, you know, the reason we have the Delta variant is because of all the unvaccinated people. And, you know, the more that it spreads, the more COVID spreads, the more chance it has to to morph into something that we can't control, we can't treat, that our vaccines don't work for. And, you know, at this point, these are the people that are prolonging this. And, you know, I saw last night that only 49% of the U.S. is vaccinated. That is staggering to me. 49%. Well, a lot of those those numbers, you have to think no one under 12 is able to get vaccinated yet. So that is going to be a distinct proportion of that number. But yes, what it means is that a lot of people have made a choice not to get vaccinated. And there are entities out there that are propagating vaccine misinformation, just quote unquote, asking questions about vaccines. And, you know, know, vaccines have done so much good in this country and across the world. Like we don't have polio. We don't have to worry about smallpox. You know, measles is in the background, like all of these deadly diseases that used to kill children and adults just randomly, we have been able to to really reduce the amount in the population because of vaccinations. And so for there to be so much skepticism around this one is, eh, you know, it's uh, it's going to kill a lot of people. It's going to kill a lot of people. I'm I'm concerned that we're heading into another winter like we had last winter. Um, You know, there was a great documentary on PBS called One Shot to Save the World. And it was basically about Jonas Salk developing the the vaccine, uh, the polio vaccine, and how he tested it on his own kids. And people were clamoring to get their kids into this trial because they were so terrified of polio. And so, you know, the fact that in such a short time, historically, we have swung back to such a huge portion of the population being anti-vaccines or not trusting vaccines is just mind-boggling to me. Well, and there was a, you know, there was a tragic uh, history with the polio vaccine where one of the batches was deadly and and kids did die when they were vaccinated. And, and, and people still felt like that the risk of the illness was so much greater that they continued to get their children vaccinated. I mean, it really is kind of a story of, um, I mean, you know, we just, in in a lot of ways, and you hate to say this, we don't pull together for the common good in the same way anymore. And and honestly, like, I think that's the bigger picture is that, you know, are we going to be able to pull together for the common good? And and what the NFL has done is just a small salvo saying, you know, we are, we are a league and we want to be healthy as a league and we need everybody or as many people as we can get on board to be able to do that. And if there are people who aren't going to pull for the league, you know, writ large, then there are going to be consequences with that if you get sick, you know, and if you don't fine, like if you, if you take this calculated risk that you're not going to get vaccinated and, you know, you're going to travel with your team and you're going to be around people and you're going to make that decision and you don't get sick. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe nothing happens, but if there, if there are consequences to that, 
you will bear the risk, not us. And that's, yeah, and- you know, that's something I think that's shifting, that's shifting risk. And, and I think schools need to think about how they could adapt something like that, or businesses, industries need to think about, okay, so, you know, the, and especially with like these, and I'm sure you've heard the stories, healthcare facilities, nursing homes, where, where people who work there are not getting vaccinated and just how dangerous that is for residents. And, um, you know, yeah. and you just really have to say, look, your decisions are not without risk to other people. Right. I mean, it reminds me of the debate we constantly have about the First Amendment, right? That the First Amendment does not mean it means we're not going to throw you in jail for what you say. We're not going in the same way. We're not going to hold you down and stick a needle in your arm. But if you choose to do something that is putting others at risk, there's going to be consequences for your actions. And so, you know, I'm already tired of seeing the whining of, you know, my body, my choice, which has been completely co-opted from the from the pro-choice movement. Um, I mean, the whole thing, it, it's, I am all for, we've given you people all the information we can give you now. Mm-hmm. Now there's going to be consequences. You know, I mean, you've had time, you've had information, we've done everything we can to get you on board. It would be really helpful if the FDA gave full approval to the vaccines, though. I agree. I do yeah. think, yeah. And, and, you know, I think there've been a lot of certainly lately missteps from the CDC, the, you know, removing the mask guidance without any notice, for example, in, in May, I think a lot of people were surprised by that. And it looks like if we, you know, I, where I am, when I go out now, people do still mask. I've noticed that people are putting masks back on. I started putting a mask back on. I was at CVS yesterday with a mask on. Yeah. Um, and so I think people are starting to realize that maybe that wasn't, you know, maybe that was a bit premature, but I do think that this, you know, it is this idea and I understand how people could, could think that, well, I'd, I'd rather wait for full approval. Um, before I get vaccinated. And I think that would go a long way toward helping some of those skeptics. But at the same time, you know, we've had enough time now from the initial, um, you know, rounds of shots going in arms that if there were terrible widespread side effects, we'd know by now. I think so too. All right. Well, that is it for us here on this episode of The Ladies Room. Give us a follow on social media at Julie DeCaro and at Jane McManus. Uh, If you like the show, please go leave a rating over on Apple Podcasts. Uh, We will see you guys next time here in The Ladies Room.